Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. You're listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Welcome back for another month of podcasting. This month's episode is brought to you by Solitaire Cube. What is Solitaire Cube? Well, for me, it's a part-time job. I'm going to brag a little bit here and tell you that I won some tournaments over the last month. $850 in tournament winnings. How's that for a part-time job playing games? If you want to play Solitaire Cube, you can play tournaments for money. You can play one-on-one for money. It is real money. Just download the app to your phone, but here's the deal. You got to use promo code Derek Izzy, D-E-R-E-K-I-Z-Z-I, when you download Solitaire Cube and set up your account. When you make your first deposit, you will get $25 for free. That's right. Promo code Derek Izzy, you'll get $25 for free, then you can start competing. And now, the topic of today's podcast. Born in Lawrence, Massachusetts in 1921. The topic of our podcast, nicknamed Fred, was born to a fairly well-off family. His father owned a chain of movie theaters. Unfortunately, the movie theaters would not survive the Great Depression, and the family was forced to move into a very poor neighborhood. So the topic of our podcast kind of went from riches to rags in this story. You can imagine the kind of trouble that this would create going from being a spoiled kid to having no money at all. And this experience kind of taught the topic of our podcast some interesting lessons. He learned how to get free stuff. In fact, he was able to trick a local candy shop owner into giving him and his friends free chocolates. But this experience did more then teach the topic of our podcast some interesting lessons because at the age of 16, Fred ran away. And just where did Fred run to? He ran away to a monastery. At 16, the topic of our podcast decided to become a monk. An armed forces soldier named Anthony Ignolia was a trained medic and he wanted to go into officer training, but that was not to be. Anthony would be rejected from officer training even though he was a dedicated soldier and had all his medical credentials. Dr. Robert Linton French. While not a medical doctor, Dr. French was a professor. He studied philosophy and ethics at DePaul University, and he excelled in his studies. Dr. French moved to Erie, Pennsylvania, where he began teaching psychology. After some time at a university in Erie, 
Dr. French moved to Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, he was an orderly at a sanitarium. That was only for a short period of time where he was able to use his psychology credentials to get a job at a university in Washington State. Another military doctor was Dr. Joseph Sear. He was very successful in the Canadian Navy. He was an RCN. One of his early assignments was at an RCN hospital in the Canadian port of Halifax. He took many sick calls, and he did a great job. He was a gifted surgeon, and during time in the Korean War, he was stationed on a base, and he had to perform some gruesome surgeries, and he pulled them off really well. He saved several soldiers' lives, relying on the principle, the less cutting you do, the less patching up you have to do afterwards. In Korea, the doctor was horrified by the conditions and the lack of medical experts that were available to tend to the soldiers, but he really seemed to enjoy what he was doing. In fact, one of his most successful surgeries was extracting a bullet from a soldier's chest. He was really hailed as a lifesaver, and the soldiers respected him. In fact, one of the soldiers that he had operated on, when the surgery was questioned by a superior, he remarked, Gosh, doctor, I think it's great. You really know your medicine and how to get it across to the layman. This is great. Dr. Sear really had a talent of explaining medical terms to the average person. This was very uncanny as most doctors lose that ability when they go through medical school and they have a vast learning of all these special terms in the medical community that they use every day. But when dealing with patients and laymen, sometimes it's difficult to use terminology that regular people will understand. But this doctor, he knew how to do that really well. And why is that? Well, you'll find out soon enough. Cecil Hammond. He was enrolled at Northeastern University, working on his law degree and granting himself a Ph.D. Cecil Hammond was now a doctor, got his own Ph.D. He started teaching as a professor at a Christian college called the Brothers of Christian Instruction in Maine. What do all of these people have in common? Doctor experience, military experience. They all seem to have successful careers. They all seem to have high IQs, lofty goals, and success rates of achieving those goals. In fact, one of the goals, I guess you could say, of Dr. Sear when he had that successful track of surgeries, some of his surgeries were kind of unusual. During one of the surgeries, there were some Korean refugees that needed medical attention. One of them needed a leg amputated. This made our doctor a little bit nervous, but he was able to get advance notice of the surgery that was coming in, and he read the required medical textbooks, which gave him the education needed to complete the surgery. Let's talk about Ben Jones. In 1955, Ben Jones was working as a prison guard in Huntsville Prison in Texas. In under two years, he was put in charge of the maximum security wing where the most dangerous prisoners were kept. He started an educational program 
that actually gave magazines to the prisoners and taught them about life. He had received a lot of feedback from the inmates and from the prison officials, but he left this job. And in 1957, he was captured and arrested. Now, what, what was he arrested for? He was a prison guard, and he seemed to have great reviews from everyone. What could he have possibly done that was worthy of being arrested? Well, some of his credentials were questioned, and it was found that he actually did falsify some of his credentials in order to get that prison job, and he served six months for having those fraudulent credentials. Also submitting fraudulent paperwork was a man named Ferdinand Waldo Demera, because all of those people that I named, the professor, the surgeon, the prison guard, they were all the same person. They were all Ferdinand Waldo Demera, also known as Fred. Fred was one of the greatest imposters of all time, assuming identities of many different people throughout the course of his life until he was finally caught. What's interesting is how he did it. During an interview, he told his biographer that he attributed a lot of his success because he was able to fit into different roles and positions that no one else had previously occupied. You know, for example, that surgeon, when he impersonated the surgeon, the medical staff was really, really short-staffed. So if he did something wrong, back in those days, there really wasn't anybody there to call him out on it because nobody knew that he was doing something wrong. They just assumed, hey, he's the doctor. He knows what he's doing. And that was one of the key driving factors that made him convincible. He had lots of charisma, and his instincts were really good about how to trick people using just regular human nature. A lot of studies have been done on criminals and criminals generally tend to be really skilled con artists and they're good at fooling people. Now, maybe your first instinct is to think that he was motivated by money and power, but he wasn't. He really didn't get any money from any of these impersonations that he did. A lot of the jobs that he applied for, they looked at his resume and he didn't have to actually demonstrate any of these skills. So as long as he had whatever requirements they were looking for, they hired him. One of the lawyers who actually successfully defended Fred against several charges is quoted as saying, so really Fred's biggest motivation was status. And since his end goal was to do something good, then anything that he did leading up to that end goal was okay. The ends always justified the means. There is a long list of impersonations that he did. A naval surgeon, a civil engineer, sheriff's deputy, prison warden, doctor of psychology, a hospital orderly, a lawyer, child care expert, a monk, an editor, a cancer researcher, and a teacher. This is quite the list of careers that he took over. One of the things he spoke about when he was impersonating a professor is that there was always opportunity to gain power when you're part of an organization as opposed to being on your own. So he would always set himself up as being an authority figure instead of joining 
other groups, like if there was a committee as part of the hospital or part of the university, he would never join those groups. He would start his own group so he could have total control. Techniques like this allowed him years and years of success. And there was even a movie made about him. The movie was made in 1960. Now, it's a fictional movie, but it starred Tony Curtis, and it was called The Great Imposter. One of the lawyers who defended Fred was quoted as saying, There was no way to channel or exploit his tremendous talents, but I never heard him say he had any regrets about anything. And in 1982, at the age of 60, Ferdinand Waldo de Mera died. While Ferdinand never did have financial gain from his exploits or from the movie that was made about him, he did lead an interesting life. In fact, he led several interesting lives. Because now you know the rest of the story. Thank you for listening. Remember, download that Solitaire Cube app. You get $25 free just when you make your first deposit. 25 bucks for free. But you have to use promo code Derek Izzy. D-E-R-E-K-I-Z-Z-I. Play Solitaire on your phone. Tournaments one-on-one. $25 free. Promo code Derek Izzy. And tune in to the show for next month. Good day.